Welcome to the weekly message from Rama Family Church. It is our hope that as you listen to this message, you will come to know Jesus better and be established in your faith and equipped for the work of the ministry. You can view the sermon notes and listen online at rhema.org.au forward slash media. Let's pray. Father, right now in Jesus' mighty name, we just thank you that in the word of God, you gave us a tremendous privilege one in which not one of us has been left out, but each and every one of us has been given this tremendous opportunity to engage with you on mission to win our world to Jesus Christ. We thank you that there are graces and anointings. There are revelations and impartations. And as we minister this evening, we believe in Jesus' mighty name that these uh, uh, demonstrations of the power of your spirit, as the word is spoken, will take place in the house and with those that are listening by the internet. We thank you that you love us. We thank you that you love the world. And we thank you that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to to be the one that would bridge the gap between God and man. And we thank you for this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Well, praise the name of the Lord. It's a tremendous opportunity that each one of us have as a member of the body of Christ, uh, a privilege to share the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so this evening, both Benny and I will be sharing some personal testimonies, some further foundational information about the foundation of winning the world to Jesus Christ in the Word of God that will be interspersed, of course, uh, with testimony and some things related to our personal experiences. I'd like to start this way. I'm not really sure when I became exactly confidently aware of my responsibility, me, Karen Workentine, of winning my world to Jesus Christ. And I'm not exactly sure when I began to train my spiritual eyes and my spiritual ears to truly see the plight of those that were in my world that didn't know Jesus. And both my obligation and privilege to have the opportunity or look for an opportunity to share the beautiful story of Jesus. But I do recall one early day in which I became incredibly aware that God had called me as a believer, like he's called each and every one of us, to be engaged with him to win our world to Jesus Christ. I happened to connect with, in my early university days, with a ministry that was uh, prevalent on the campuses across the United States. It's also here in Australia. And I became a member of that organization. And one of the things that organization was known for is training believers in this instance, university students to win uh, university students to Jesus Christ. And one of the things they taught us was, is that uh, we could hear the Holy Spirit and that the Holy Spirit would guide us and direct us to those that he intended for us to speak with on numerous occasions. And so one morning, uh, when I was uh, not in class, And uh, I made my way to what was called the coffee shop in our university, Western Washington, uh, Bellingham, Washington, outside of Seattle. And uh, I went to what was called the Hub. And the Hub was a university coffee shop where uh, university students would go in between classes if you weren't, you know, like 
one of those real types that went to the library and, uh, you know, places where you could have study nooks. But you could also study in the coffee shop at the hub. And so when you would study in the coffee shop at the hub, there would be the tinkling of glasses and students talking and, and just all sorts of things would take place. And you would queue up to get standard university fare for poor university students, which was cheeseburgers, fries, and Cokes. And that you would queue up for that, and if you had a little spare money, you'd get a milkshake. Somebody might buy you a chocolate sundae. And you would sit there with your books, and uh, you would uh, study. And this one particular day, I walked in, and the Spirit of the Lord uh, arrested me. And where I was on my way to get a cheeseburger, there was an assignment that God had given me as an ordinary believer, uh, filled with his Spirit, I was born again, and his spirit could speak to me. And he identified that there was a girl at a table just across the way that he wanted me to go and share with. And so getting my cheeseburgers and my fries and my Coke and putting it on the tray, I made my way to this table where this girl was sitting. I had met her before. She lived in housing that was part of the house that I was living in. It was off-campus housing for girls. It was girls' housing. I'd met her once or twice. I really didn't know her. But being led by the Spirit of the Lord, my encounter with her was pretty simple. I just asked her if she would mind if I, would, if I could sit down and have a chat with her. What I was doing was setting up the altar in the marketplace. I happened to be in the coffee shop at the Hub in a university, and my tray had cheeseburgers, fries, and a Coke on it. And I was still on assignment, and that which I was engaged in was, were holy things. They were eternal matters. And where I sat down just as a university student to another university student, we had a chat. And we had a general chat, and then over a short period of time, I introduced her to the conversation about things that were eternal and eternal matters. And I began to share with her that God loved her and had a beautiful plan for her life. And in order to actualize that plan, he had made a path between God and man in which she could invite Jesus Christ into her heart. And she could be what the Bible calls would be born again. To be born again was the only way you could get access to heaven. She was pretty keen about that. And the minute I began to speak on things that were eternal, I could sense that there was a tuning in from her heart to the heart of God as I spoke things that Jesus had put in his word and he had come to do just for her and anyone that didn't know her. And so over a short period of time, there in the coffee shop, uh, with the Coca-Colas tinkling with the ice, ice blocks in the, uh, in the glasses and, you know, university students waving and yakking with each other and calling across the coffee shop. There was a holy moment in which that young lady closed her eyes. She wanted to close her eyes. She closed her eyes and she asked Jesus Christ into her heart. I discovered that she was from Hawaii, and she was a, a student that uh, came into the a West Coast University, and she was an Asian woman. All of her family were Buddhists. When she got born again, she, she set herself up for an extraordinary furor in her family. And her family began to separate themselves from her. They said terrible things to her. They wrote terrible uh, emails to her. They called her, they, uh, you know, and made ter terrible comments on the phone. And they screamed at her. They yelled at her. And she held fast. Something had happened. Jesus had entered her heart. 
And this university organization that I was involved in, she became very active in it. And she became a leader, began to lead other people to Jesus Christ. And over time, I just followed her. And uh, then when we graduated, I lost track of her. A couple of years later, I was, I was watching national news. And I don't remember where I was, but it was a, a news program that went across the nation. And there was a story about uh, uh, people that were in YWAM. And I had discovered that when she left university, she had joined YWAM. And she had become a YWAMer missionary. And the Lord had called her to the Midwest of the United States. And there at a YWAM base, she set up, she was very active, led kids to Jesus Christ, and uh, was very active within her community. I understood from what I could gather that she had become a prolific soul winner and one that was on fire for Jesus. And so I watched the news this one evening, and much to my dismay, they, put, uh, they said that there had been a, uh, a rainstorm within this part of the Midwest of the United States, that rivers had flooded, waters had come out of the skies and come down the mountains and uh, had flooded within this community, a small community, Midwest United States. And there were a bunch of missionaries that were YWAM missionaries that had perished in that flood. And uh, I looked at the pictures, sometimes they will show the pictures, and I looked up and where I couldn't remember her name, I did remember her face. And I remember the, the morning in the coffee shop at the university where on assignment, one ordinary believer, I was probably about 18 or 19 years old, had followed the voice of the Holy Ghost to a woman sitting over in the corner and had taken care of some eternal business. And when I had done so, she had invited Jesus Christ into her heart. I discovered later that her Buddhist family had gotten born again. One believer following the voice of the Holy Spirit. Where was church that one day? It was in a coffee shop. It was in a coffee shop, and it was one in which a divine and holy moment took place. And modern-day missions are made out of just these kinds of things. I want to share with you that in these seasons, the seasons of the church, and this would be true in all seasons, that most of the life of the church really takes place outside of the building. It really, really does. That None of the testimonies that, that I often can share with you are when I'm at the front helping with an altar call, but are instead when I'm out in the marketplace and I take me as the church to the marketplace. And uh, in that particular instance, I will tell you, we see things that are miraculous and mighty related to the things that we minister both out of the word and in the local church within this church. And they are phenomenal. So at church, uh, really when we come in, our assignment is to fill up our spiritual tanks and then go out and minister. In fact, what I could share very easily this evening, if we did it in a nutshell, was to say this. The entire church is called to ministry. The entire church is called the ministry, the proclamation of the gospel, the sharing of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, inviting him into our heart, is the ministry of every believer. It is the calling of the believer. The believers have been called to ministry. Praise the name of the Lord. We've been all called to ministry. You know, these days we're living in incredibly unprecedented times. Uh, this is the second year in Australia and worldwide in which the entire earth has been uh, impacted by a worldwide pandemic. The virus 
of COVID-19. I mean, I'm telling you, the world has responded all over the earth in a variety of different sort of ways. And everyone, nations, national leaders, and individuals are trying to figure out how to protect themselves. And at one point in time, every nation under the sun closed up shop, went into lockdown, leaving us, allowing us only to leave our homes for essentials. Uh, some of us have lived in isolation for a variety of uh, different lengths of times. There's not one of us that hasn't worn a mask. I doubt if there's anyone in the room that's robbed a bank. Maybe, I don't know, I haven't met you all. But I want to say this is that during this season, the world has been uh, all over the earth, all over the globe, confronted with some very serious questions. There's been the challenge of how do I deal with fear, personal fear, and am I going to die? And is somebody I really love also going to die? These have been, without a doubt, very, very serious days. But during this time, the church, the body of Christ, have had a tremendous opportunity uh, to demonstrate how we can live in safety and peace and have access to the healing power of God. We have tremendous confidence about because of who we uh, serve and know and who lives within us that we can walk in the comfort of the Holy Spirit and we can live in fellowship and community with one another. While we're in the church, we're not alone. And when we're in fellowship, we can rally together and uh, challenge ourselves to truly believe what God has promised, that we can live and daily walk in victory. So during these times, we've had a tremendous opportunity as believers to take the lead. There's no doubt about it. We can take the lead for the crisis that's in the earth today and for the cause of Jesus Christ. In fact, with the things that have been taking place in the earth, we have a wide open door for the gospel because of this grand sense of foreboding about the questions that rise in these days related to what about tomorrow? Okay, here's today, we've gotten through today, but what about tomorrow? Or, excuse me, what's going to happen tomorrow? There's some quotes I want to read to you that are really uh, notable, that really uh, make good statements about some of the things that are going on in the earth today. I wanna quote Thomas Paine. Thomas Paine was a, a, a fighting man. He said this, and it's a very famous quote, he said, these are times that try men's souls. These are times that try men's souls. And then I want to quote from Charles Dickens. I do believe in the Bible, but some of these quotes are rather notable and they suit the season. Charles Dickens, in the opening lines of uh, his famous classic book, A Tale of Two Cities, said this, it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epic of belief, and it was the epic of incredulity. It was the season of light, and it was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope, and it was for some the winter of despair. Now, as much as I'm going to spend some of this evening talking about the challenges of this season, I will say this, that in spite of the clutter of the chaos, and much of the world has gone into chaos, 
within our world, and this is true really in all seasons, but incredible in this time, is this grand paradox that there still remains some, as in every season of life, to their own folly, pay literally no attention to things that have are of eternal consequence. And if uh, they conduct their lives as if there truly is no tomorrow, that matters at all. And if they had an eternal worldview, I mean, if they considered it at all, it might be made out of this, that if they assumed there was a heaven, they'd probably think, yeah, I'll probably get there. I mean, I'm a pretty good person. And if that isn't it, they may think that uh, at the cessation of life, physical life, they'll just die and, you know, go to the grave. They'll just be in there, go back to dust, and, you know, that's the end. There are people who, in spite of things that are notable and serious, remain foolish about the things that are significant. And there's others who have developed their own worldview construct of the end of time which whatever it's made out of, it's their personal view. It has no inclusion of biblical truths. And so the Bible describes these days, these last days as terrible days. Second Timothy 3, 1 through 2, verse A in the NIV says, there will be terrible times in the last days. And the Bible then goes on to opine a little bit about the self-centered philosophy of the folly of the lost, not all of them, but some that they will continue to live outside of the purposes and plans of God for their lives, that they will continue to remain unaffected by what the real situation is regarding the consequence of their decisions uh, in regards to tomorrow and eternity. The Bible often calls these people lovers of themselves, those that court folly as a way of life. The Beatles have a song, now we're to the Beatles, the Beatles have a song that really de depicts this kind of mentality. And the name of the song is Those Were the Days. It was on the charts in 2019. Once upon a time, there was a tavern where we used to raise a glass or two. Remember how we laughed away the hours and think of the great things we would do. Those were the days, my friend. We thought they'd never end. We'd sing and dance forever and a day. We'd live the life we choose. We'd fight and never lose. For we were young and sure to have our way. La, 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 la. Those were the days, my friend. We thought they'd never end. Now, counter to this case, hurrah, hurrah, whatever will be, will be culture and mentality, the Bible makes some pretty clear definition that there are seasons and times that are pertinent uh, under heaven and to the Lord. Ecclesiastes 3, verses 1 through 2, part A, says this, to everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die. Now, during this particular season, there are many who are, are, are confronted with those very thoughts. And those thoughts became something that were very real for us. When we understand the story of Adam and Eve many, many years ago that betrayed God 
And when they, when they betrayed him in the Garden of Eden, spiritual death did come to the earth. And there is a death to be concerned about. And that death, of course, is our spiritual death. And every person on the face of the earth, born into the earth, are confronted with that unfathomable chasm that exists between God and man. But of course, Jesus Christ has bridged that gap. But let me say this, even though the earth is engaged in what we could call a significant public health crisis, there is no greater crisis ever than the state and the soul of a lost man, woman, teenager, or child. In Hebrews 9, 20, 27a, it says this, that it is appointed once for a man to die, and then the judgment. And where this is the greatest problem that has always existed on the earth, that God sent his son to make a way. It says in John chapter 3, when Nicodemus was approaching Jesus with the notable question about how I would get to heaven, he asked Jesus personally that question, and Jesus gave him the answer. I always quote from the, the King James because I like part of the language. This part is it, marvel not. Marvel not, you must be born again. Now, with this understanding that we would have and we're raising our, our becoming more alert as a church and as individuals, I'm not saying you weren't alert before, but part of the purposes are these seminars are for that very purpose, to raise the awareness of our personal and individual and our assignment as a local church to engage with winning the world to Jesus Christ. We will understand that there is an utter destitution of the soul of man outside of Jesus Christ. And that the Bible has clearly stated that it's our job and it is our time to engage with what I think will become the greatest season of the church on the earth in our, in our time. We have been given in this season an incredibly grand assignment. But I sense by the spirit of the Lord, there's a whole lot more to it. And God is really speeding up time. And there are things that we need to take care of. So if I were you, sitting in this pew, or at home watching online in my comfortable lounge room chair with my pajamas on, I'd get out my spiritual notebook if I were you, and I'd take note of these days. I would gear myself up for what I would consider one of the most amazing moves of God you may ever experience in your lifetime. And I would determine if I were you, in my heart right now, to be a part of it. To be a part of it, I'd say to you, if I were going to give you an alert, I would say, hold on to your hats. I'd say it's time to engage because I can tell without a doubt, as many can all over the earth, that Jesus Christ is coming back soon. And we of the church have so much to do before he returns. So if I were you, I would lace up my boots. I would polish up your fighting gear. If I were you, I wouldn't get caught sitting on the sidelines. If I were you, I would want to be in the thick of it. Some of you won't believe this, but it's true in my uh, former days, not my former life, but my former days, I was an athlete. And my big sport was softball. They called me Workentine, the home run queen. Workentine, the home run queen. There's a lot of reasons why I could do that. I won't go into it here. You could ask me privately. 
But let me tell you something, when softball season was on, there was no way I wanted to be benched with an injury. There is no way I didn't want to be picked. There is no way I didn't want to engage. I wanted to hit, I wanted to run, I wanted to throw the ball, I wanted to win, I wanted to beat that other team. And I was going to engage in the, in the thing that was my favorite sport. Well, let me say this, church, this is a salvation season. This is the season of an activity and engagement. And if I were you, I wouldn't want to be benched. And there's no way I would bench myself. You know, you can bench yourself. You can just go sit on that bench in the dugout. I mean, truly. But I, the question we could ask ourselves in this, this salvation season, ooh, you know, I'm looking at the team right here this evening. Can't see you out there, but let's tell you. I'm telling you, let's gear up. The question we may ask ourselves is this, well, where is the battle? Where is, the, where is this battle? Where, where is the game? Uh, you know, where is the season taking place? And I can, you know, interestingly say this, our main fight usually is in the realm and the dimension of the spirit. And that's where things are dealt with and that's where things are taken care of. And that's where we often need to start. What's our assignment? What really is the game all about? Well, our assignment as the church and as individuals is to impact the world for eternity. And to do so, we must be eternity-minded. Our creator, let me help us here. Our creator created us out of these very materials. The fabric that we are made out of, the constitution that we have within us the minute we got born again was a constitution in which we can engage with and we were designed for eternal matters because we are body, soul, and spirit. And within the realm of our spirit, we took on the nature of God and he is involved in eternal matters. And so are we. In Ecclesiastes 3.11 part B, it says this, that he put eternity in our hearts. So... We are not only eternal beings, but we have given, been given privilege and assignment, obligation, and responsibility on the earth as we rule and reign uh, to be engaged in eternal matters. In this instance, we're talking about eternal matters for those that do not know Jesus Christ. Our recreated human spirits have the capacity to engage with eternity. We just do and eternal matters because we've been, in, we've been fashioned to have the capability to view and understand things on the earth with a heavenly perspective. If we train our spiritual eyes and our spiritual ears, we will find ourselves engaged because we've been fitted out with this, the spirit of seeing and knowing. And in this instance, we're talking about dealing with the lost. To be eternity-minded, is something that God has intended for us, and so he came in when we got born again. Yes, he did. Now, one of the other things that we can talk about is that, you know, uh, the lost also have been fitted out for eternal matters. They really have. It is within the makeup of creation. And so what God does in regards to this is he places an eternal longing or a sense for eternal things, right smack dab in the middle of the human heart. Human beings operate differently 
in different ways and other forms of life. Because of how God created us, we possess an innate knowledge that there is something more to life than what we can see and experience in the here and now. We have been fashioned in this way. Now, when we get born again, his spirit in us, his spirit in us ignites our sensitivity to eternal matters. We can, by being born again, tune into the mind of Christ. And we can, by being born again, understand his plans and his purposes and his ways. And we can, with that sensitivity, be aware of our place in them. You see, when we were born again by the spirit of the living God, we were fashioned to join God on mission for the hearts and the souls of those that don't know him. Not as a single outreach, not as a Friday morning, not as a Saturday afternoon, not as a a trip to Thailand, but as a constant way of life. His mission becomes our mission. And this mission is that we would bring the eternal truths, the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ to those who don't yet know and may have never yet heard. As mentioned, the underlying battle is a spiritual one. And there is at this time, and there always is in every season, but I sense it this time, in this particular season, we could perhaps say that there is a significant attack on the earth for every human being that's here uh, that is born again or not born again. Ephesians 6.12 says that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers, rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. And I would say more than ever before, we need to, really, if you were to hear the signs and see the signs in your, your, your hearts and ears and uh, eyes spiritually were open, you would, you would sense that it's a time in which we need to fight within the realm of the spirit, with the power of the authority of the word with the power of divinely inspired prayers and the proclamation of the gospel and divinely led personal witnessing missions more than ever before. Now these are modern day missions of significant, significant consequence. Where do they take place? Amazingly, they take place right in our own world. It could be in your neighborhood. You may not need to even get a a tank, you know, fill up your petrol tank to be on assignment. Because I'm telling you what, the mission of God is absolutely everywhere on the face of the earth. There is an urgency in the hour. These are times of great troubles. And there are multitudes in great need. Luke chapter 21, 25 through 28 in the ESV says this, that on the earth there will be a distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the seas and the waves and people fainting with fear, with foreboding for what is coming, which is coming on the earth. You might ask yourselves, I mean, look at us. I mean, what difference could we all possibly make? What what difference could you all make? You see, uh, we're not prime ministers, no prime ministers in the room here. Um, No kings, no presidents. No national political figures, I, you know, perhaps I haven't met you, but, you know, they're not here in the room. So what difference could we possibly make? Well, let me share with you things that you know, but let's apply it to winning the world to Jesus Christ. We are members of the kingdom of light, 
and we are priests of the Most High. And by the virtue of our new birth, we can, we can walk and dwell and live and move in spiritual places of great influence, power, and authority. Because, well, we're seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus, far above principalities and powers and might. And from that position, let me share with you, there's a lot we need to do. There is so much we need to do. And we, from that position, there is spiritual power we need to wield. There is spiritual business that we need to take care of on behalf of those that are fainting with fear and of the foreboding of what's coming upon the earth. In that position, we are to engage and contend with things that are of eternal consequence for those who cannot, because he already did. We are allowed to do so. We can tend after eternal matters in the world sphere of influence whenever we engage with the power of God, the power of his word, and the power of powerful prayers. You might ask this, you know, if we were to really engage in impacting the world for eternity, how might we do it? I'll spend a few moments this evening giving you some ideas. I'd love to say it this way. If you really, really had your boots on and you had actually laced them up and polished your tools that the Lord has given you, I believe that together we could establish an active, vibrant, impossible to stop grassroots plan of action that with the start in the heart of each and every one of us, each believer in our local church that would rise right out of our hearts, just people like you and me, where we would engage with this assignment to win our world to Jesus Christ. It would rise right out of us. We would find our purpose and we would join ranks together. But it would start initially in our own personal hearts. You, me, I want to be engaged. Use me. I want to be engaged. I want to be in that grassroots movement. In order to get there, we need to move to a place, you know, may I encourage you to move to a place of further pers personal level of commitment, consecration, and dedication. This assignment really is one that is for individuals where we rally together as the church. When we go into our world, the whole church doesn't go with us. We go out into our world, us by ourselves, or perhaps on occasion with friends. But I'll tell you what, it's us going out to do the things that God has called us to do. What would happen if we really began to believe that we could rally and we could rise up? I'll tell you what, if you allowed your hearts to be stirred, that there would be a passion that took place within your hearts, a movement would rise right out of our ranks. It really, really would. You see, when multitudes of individuals get a hold of something significant in God and they begin to act on it, there will be a mighty swell of power that will sweep all over the earth. It will take over churches everywhere you go in Bible studies and paralocal church organizations. When individuals get on fire for Jesus and they make a determination that God has put them on duty and they won't be benched, they'll get in the game. And they'll find that they will begin to have spiritual encounters that are beyond their normal everyday experiences. 
There will be a rise of enthusiasm that is infectious, and there will be a sense of the urgency of the hour. In this kind of grassroots movement that comes out of the heart of an individual, people will begin to rally. They'll begin to gather. They'll proselytize each other to say, we have got to get engaged. There will be something in which they will, this will be this rallying of this cry that we must connect with God and his plans and purposes on the earth that we won't, not one of us will want to be left out. And as we begin to rally personally and we begin to speak with one another, you're going to find that we're all going to get thoroughly convinced that God has indeed called us to do this very thing. That is to engage with him on mission. Well, where is this movement going to happen? Well, anytime there's this kind of movement, there's people meeting in the corridors. There is people that will then meet in the parking lots. They were things where this rally and this take this uh, this stirring of this grassroots revival to engage our hearts with God to win the world to Jesus Christ. It'll take place in our homes. It'll take place on the telephone. We're going to be texting. We're going to be Facebook, and we're going to be uh, what are the other ones? Uh, I do all those other ones. I can't think of it right now. That social media thing, yeah, Twitter and those other ones, Insta, etc. It's going to happen on street corners. It's going to happen in coffee shops. It's going to happen in places of business and airports and neighborhoods and shopping centers at the beach and everywhere we go, wherever there's people in need, you're going to find when you get a hold of this, that there you're going to see the church and they are going to have moved out of the building where they got themselves tanked up with the beautiful Sunday morning messages and with the things that take place in connect groups and service teams. They're going to rally from all of that, and they're going to take it out to the world. They're not going to be able to hold on to this beautiful gospel to themselves. The Lord, the Lord by his spirit, can give each and every one of us a divine strategy for our own world. There is a mission and a ministry that he has assigned to us personally and individually that is not yours It's mine. Yours is different than mine. I don't live at your house. I don't live in your neighborhood. I don't work. You work. I don't even go to your grocery store. Probably, you know, none of you have ever seen at my grocery store. Where do you live? But I'm telling you what, where you live is where the mission is and where you go is where the mission is. And these plans of God, these plans of God that we're created for, we'll, we'll, be, we'll, we'll find ourselves engaged in a total sense of being divinely inspired. Have you ever been divinely inspired? We can be divinely inspired. We can be driven and led by the Spirit of God in which we become that band of saints that are on assignment to do the things that God has called us to do. These missions will be from God himself. He will breathe them into our hearts. He will, he, will, he will make us aware of them in our personal prayer times. As we're driving down the road, God will inspire us to be on assignment, and they will be ones that come directly from heaven. Can you imagine what a groundswell would take if this movement really engaged with God? I'm telling you what. Whenever you see a supernatural infusion of the zeal of God, people are going to say, it doesn't even seem like it's of this world. It won't be. It will be not of this world. It will be of the Holy Ghost. It will be by the realm of the Spirit. It will be the church engaging with God on that assignment that he brought to the earth and that he's always been on. It says in Psalm 69 verse 9 that the zeal of God 
has consumed me and that it's a consuming force. When we engage with God and his mission on the earth with this zeal that he can put in our hearts, there will be an ardent fervency. There will be a jealousy like in a love relationship where we just can't live without him. To do these kinds of assignments, we must engage personally and intimately with him and with his word and with his spirit. It will be denoted by an enhanced, heightened love relationship between God and the believer. We won't, in these moments of these kinds of movements, simply, we won't ever be able to ever get enough of him and his presence. There will be a touch that will come upon us that when we open the word of God, it becomes life to us. And we know that we're handling holy things that will, in, that will in, infect the world and change the world for Jesus Christ. We will find that there will be an urgency to pray. There will be an urgency to praise. And there will be an urgency to proclaim, I must tell. This consuming fire will burn within us. It will set us on fire. Have you had those moments? I've had those moments. If you love Jesus, you've had those moments. But that moment can come as a movement. You might ask ourselves, how can I develop this fervency and zeal? It's one thing to, you know, talk about it and go, you know, we should, but let's talk about it. Paul was very engaged in uh, nurturing the plans and purposes of God in his life. In 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27, he said this. He said he practiced his faith like an athlete. Paul and I were tight. I don't know about softball, but he practiced, the Bible says, his faith like an athlete. He trained himself for the race. This race he was involved and in, he engaged in. The Bible says that he ran the race that was before him, and so he was personally and regularly developing fervency and a zeal for participating by participating. He got in the race. He got in the race. So that he wouldn't, the Bible said that he wouldn't be found inadequate and disqualified. So that he wouldn't, the Bible said, be considered a castaway and benched from the team. He didn't want to be benched. He wouldn't want to be a castaway. He said that he kept the mission in front of him so that he wouldn't run aimlessly and he didn't want to run with uncertainty. He didn't want to run uncertainty. He said he didn't want to be like a boxer beating the air. He didn't want a shadow box. He didn't want to just pretend engagement in the race. He didn't want to be in the gym in the middle of the boxing ring, just him fighting. He wanted a component, a, an opponent in there and he wanted to go into battle. He said to get in the race, to develop fervency and passion, you need to practice your faith, the things that God has called us to do. And so a simple touch of successful and purposeful soul winning when you get hooked for life will be that you will allow the heart of God himself to flow out of your heart to those who don't know you. In Jeremiah, don't know Jesus Christ. In Jeremiah 20, verse 9, it says this, I will not make mention of him nor speak anymore in his name, Jeremiah speaking. He's, you know, he should never even said those words. He said, but his word was in my heart, like a burning fire shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back, and I could not. I could not. 
You know, I'm telling you, there is a fire that is burning on the earth today. And I can tell you that if I were to say anything that I would say that comes right from my heart of who I'm listening to, things that I'm reading, things that come to my heart when I'm praying, I would say this. I sense a rumbling under my feet. I sense a rumbling under my feet. And I'll tell you what, if you were to listen this evening, I'm telling you what, you'd barely be able to make it through the rest of this seminar. You would just have this get up and go in you that just, okay, I'll get the last notes. And then, you know, we got stuff to do, eternal things. But there is a, I sense a rise of a grassroots revival to win the world to Jesus Christ. I sense it around the world. I sense it at Rama Family Church. I sense that we're going to rise up and join the ranks of thousands of believers who are leaving the pew all over the world to go out to win our world to Jesus Christ in this last great day's harvest before Jesus Christ uh, returns. And I see an army of the Lord. I see an army of the Lord taking their place among those who don't know. And they're going out and they're beginning to tell everywhere they go, being led by the Holy Ghost, this beautiful story of Jesus, of how he came to the earth he died, he was raised from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and then the coming of the Holy Spirit that would enter our hearts, Jesus coming into our hearts by the Holy Ghost when we would get born again, and that he had indeed bridged that gap between God and man. It's a really simple story we have to tell. I've just shared the gospel in, in a nutshell but I'll tell you what, if you get a hold of telling that story, it will forever revolutionize the lives of those who hear it. That's why we've called these seminars Evangelism Revolution. Evangelism Revolution. The Bible says that there's not simply just four months and then comes the harvest. It says this, behold, I say, lift up your eyes and look at the fields for they are already white unto harvest. If that's the case, and we could say this very clearly, the lost are waiting for us to tell them the beautiful story of Jesus. Because the fields are already white unto harvest. You know, the journey of getting born again is, is a personal one. And if we had time in each and every one of us, we're going to tell our story about how we got born again you'd find that how we got saved would be different and unique to each and every one of us. And, uh, you know, if you just reflect back about that moment where you asked Jesus into your heart, you're going to find that uh, there are stories that you could tell. And if you've uh, been walking with the Lord for a season of time, you have a lot of stories to tell how about God has assisted you and your family in so many ways in your life. You know, getting born again is a, an amazing personal experience that takes place between an almighty God and mankind. And when we get born again, it's life-changing, it's transforming, it sets us up on a, a path and a plan of divine purpose, it forever alters our lives in every way for things imaginable and much more. And there's no doubt about it that our salvation experience has always been and remains a beautiful encounter with the Lord. But here's the deal. Our salvation experience was never ever meant to be solely a memorable moment. It was always intended to be a movement. It was always intended to not simply be a moment that we would be re remembering, but that it would be a movement. 
If we could have that slide, it'd be great. And as personal as that moment was, it was always intended to be a shared experience. That when we get born again, we join God in mission to win the world to Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. For God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. God has always been on mission to seek and save those who are lost. In 2 Peter 3, 9, it says this, he's just not willing that any should perish, uh, but that all should come to repentance. In the personalness of God approaching man, he says to man, by name, I've called you by name, and you are mine. But this believer is called the engaging of this beautiful moment to, between God and man. It's been an assignment that has been given to the church. In Mark chapter 16, verse 15, I call this the believer's call. And he said this in Mark chapter 16, verse 15, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Those who believe will be, will be, and baptized will be saved, but those who do not believe will be condemned. In the NLT, it says, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. And everyone who believes will be saved. Because of the great needs in our world, Jesus has then invited us to go on mission and assignment with him. In Mark chapter 419, it says this, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. In the NLT, it says this, come follow me. And I'll show you how to fish for people. You know, a, a significant secret to supernatural soul winning, I'm going to share in just the next number of minutes, and that can be the question, how do I follow him to fish for men? I may have a desire to fish for men, but what does this scripture really mean that he says, if I follow him, I can learn to win the world to Jesus Christ? And many times I've heard this mentioned as a poke you in the eye, without explaining how it can work. And I want to explain how this can work. Number one, when we follow him, he engages us in training. Jesus is a teacher. He engages us in training. He engages us in coaching. He gives us divine direction, advisement, strategies, styles, methods, and timing. He is actually the best coach and teacher you could possibly have. He is the ultimate soul winner. And so how do you learn to follow him? Well, you learn to follow Jesus, to learn soul winning, and allow him to teach you in the same way you would learn any of the other things that are talked about in the Bible. A lot of people get, in, get kind of twisted up about this. But when I first started to pray, I didn't know how to pray. But the Lord taught me by his spirit how to pray. And I learned to pray. And now I confidently pray. I remember when it came to speaking in tongues. I wasn't exactly timid, but I certainly didn't quite know what to do. And the spirit of the Lord guided me to speak in tongues. And now I confidently speak in tongues. The Bible talks about walking in love. Well, you know, sometimes you don't feel like walking in love. But if you follow the spirit of the Lord, love resting, residing within you causes that, as well as the fruit of the Holy Spirit, recreated in, in our recreated beings, there is the ability to love. So you learn to love with God's power within you. 
In the same way, you learn to exercise faith. You might learn about faith, now know how to exercise faith, but you learn the things of God. You learn spiritual things. You, you learn them. You might learn to give. You know, the first time, you know, you learn about giving, you might think, you know, plunk a gold coin in the offering bucket as it goes by and praise the Lord. But, you know, as the Lord stirs your heart and you begin to learn more about giving, you will find that you will give because you learn the value of giving and the benefits of giving, and you learn to give as a way of life, to be very generous. You learn to move in the gifts of the Holy Spirit by learning how to move in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So one of the secrets, major simple secret to supernatural soul winning, is that if you, learn, if you lean in closely to him, as you would in any of these other spiritual matters that I've just described, and you all smile, you remember when you didn't know how to do those things. You might have learned them in Sunday school, but you might have learned them as an adult. And you didn't have a clue, and the kids in Sunday school could be given without much thought, and you'd be thinking, whoa, that's my money. But you learned these things. Well, if you learn to lean in closely to him, he says this, follow me. Come in close and I'll teach you how to share the gospel. I will teach you as any other thing that you have learned in your faith life, I will teach you to win the world to Jesus Christ. It is one of the most hidden secrets to supernatural soul winning. Now, an example of this is some of the best, and I've taught a lot of soul winners uh, in our Bible school, in our church. Sometimes when I've gone to other places, I've taught soul winners. I've taught people how to win people to Jesus Christ. I always say it's not hard. It's not hard. And they all look at me like, you must be Billy Graham. And I will go, no, it's not hard when you learn to follow the spirit of the Lord. And once you learn how to follow the spirit of the Lord, you can learn to win souls to Jesus Christ like anything else you've ever learned. And some of the very best soul winners I have taught have not been uh, gregarious, outgoing, super socially skilled individuals, extroverts, and amazing people. What they have been is people that learned how to hear the Holy Spirit. They simply learned how to hear the Holy Spirit, and they began to practice being in the race and learn how to win the world to Jesus Christ. They were the ones who grasped the art of soul winning by learning to listen to the Holy Spirit and following the Spirit of God. Now, I find when I'm training soul winners, and uh, if, I can, if I can get them to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit and you know, just get over themselves... And all the things that would be engaged in, you know, ministering outside of the church, you will find that they will be off and running, leading people to Jesus Christ. And let me share with you, there's no thrill quite like being in the marketplace and leading someone to Jesus Christ. I regularly share with people I don't know. That's one of the things that's been things that I've been engaged with is people I don't know. But I've also been engaged working with people that I now do know. But there's nothing quite like it hearing the Holy Ghost and beginning to follow his spirit and he gives you the promptings, things to do and say, and you get practiced at it. You practice it. You practice it. You practice it. So, you know, if you think you're going to go, you know, do an amazing, you know, encounter with somebody first time out, maybe you will. But maybe you, mo- you won't. But let me, let me make this very clear. Whether you're good at it or not, it will always be the Holy Ghost that gets them saved. 
You are simply a tool or a voice that shares the things of God. He promises to join you on assignment and, and to touch their hearts. It won't ever matter how, how you know, articulate you are. That will never be why they got saved. The only reason people ever get saved is as the word is spoken and as we have prayed, we have spoken and he has revealed. Salvation is by revelation. The proclamation of the gospel has this amazing folly in it that the foolishness of us talking, he will go ahead and reveal and speak. He just does. So whenever I am out in the marketplace, I'm always thoroughly convinced and I'm very excited about the fact that, that as I learn to make a presentation to somebody as gentle and as sensitively as he would cause me to do so, that he is speaking and that he will lead them to himself. That's his job. I put the pressure on God and his word. Okay, I've got a part to do. There's no doubt about it. But I'm convinced that God speaks, and I'm convinced that he will touch hearts. That's God's job. I am thoroughly full of faith that he does that. I find sometimes in training soul winners, they're doubtful about themselves, and I'll say, forget you. Just do your part. Concentrate on who God is and what he will do. And so I want to talk a little bit further about these things, that there is a grace and this is one of those secrets about supernatural soul winning that unfortunately is not mentioned much. I mean, if ever. There is a grace for every calling of God. There is a grace to be a soul winner. There is a grace to be a soul winner. There's nothing he calls us to or asks us to do or encourages us or commands us to do that he doesn't then issue and dispense grace for. What is the grace of God? It's his ability to do the things that he's encouraged, called, and commanded, or asked us to do. It's his ability within us. It really is a whole lot less about us and a whole lot more about him. And in our movement, we believe the word is powerful, it's mighty. We believe that the spirit moves. We believe that God is mighty. So the deal is that we allow him to grace us to do the things that he's called us to do. With what? With his ability. With his power and his might. So you could ask ourselves, how, how do you enter that grace? Well, some of the ways you enter the grace is by practice stepping into the grace. When I minister in the marketplace, I'll use myself as not some great person, just by example, okay? When I slip into the marketplace, I slip into the grace, Whenever I'm somewhere else, I just slip in the grace. Like if you were in the marketplace and you just began to speak in tongues, you know, under your breath, you would be slipping into the grace of what takes place, takes place when you, you, you know, minister to God or pray for others in prayer. You just slip into the grace. I just slip into the grace. How do I do that? I make myself available as a laborer. I look around and I say, is there someone you want me to minister to? You know, just a couple months ago, I said that in the Woolies down at Springwood just here. I just walked in the grocery store, and I said, is there someone you want to, me to minister to? I, I made myself available as a laborer. And then I slipped into the grace. In other words, hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit. And as I slipped into the grace, I saw nobody until I went to the checkout. There was a young man at the checkout. He looked really disrot. Forget his name. And he looked very disrupt, and I said, are you okay? I was a minister of the gospel. I was on, on assignment. I was setting up a ministry moment in my world. And he said he wasn't. 
I'm so surprised he told me the truth. And I said, what's wrong? And he said, I'm really depressed. He's 17 years old. He was in high school still. And I said, are you really depressed? And he, and he wept. You know, there's people behind me. You know, they're getting ready to check their stuff out. They're getting it on the belt. And there I am, you know, in the grace, simply slipping into the grace. I know how to minister to somebody who's distressed. I just happen to be doing it, and I need to do it slightly more cleverly as I'm in the marketplace and there are people behind me. But I know how to do that. I do it in church. I do it in home fellowships. I might do it in my family. I then bring that into the marketplace, that very same grace and experience. And I said, you know that there is uh, someone who will never leave you or forsake you. His name is Jesus. And, you know, I had to be a little bit quick. They were like queuing up behind me. And I went straight to the salvation message. I said, do you believe that Jesus is the son of God? He said, I do. Romans 10, 8, 9, and 10. Do you believe that he died and rose from the dead? He said, I do. The Bible says that if you ask Jesus Christ to come into your heart, he'll never leave you or forsake you. I said, I can lead you in that prayer right now. He's checking out my groceries. He's crying. I got people in the queue. But you see, it's just slipping in the grace, just slipping in the grace. You just learn to have, you have to be a little more clever in the marketplace. It will be a little quicker. They're not going to give you the whole 10 minutes or something like that. You know, it depends where you're at. And so he said, you know, why he's checking my groceries out. And I said, you have to really mean this. He said, I will. Dear God, dear God, I believe Jesus is the son of God. I believe Jesus is the son of God. I believe that he died and rose from the dead. I believe that he died and rose from the dead. Please come into my heart. Please come into my heart. Thank you for coming in. Thank you for coming in. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. I don't have time to go to the other steps. But what I did do, and I asked him if he meant it, and he did. He was crying. He was crying even more. And there was kind of this sense of, you know, a, a divine moment had taken place in that particular instance. And I was practicing in the mall. I was practicing where I need to go. That was my world. And as I was practicing there, he asked Jesus Christ into his heart. How do I keep in touch with him? Well, we exchange phone numbers. And in a modern world, every so many days or weeks, when the Spirit of the Lord prompts me, I send him a meme or a text. And he's sitting there in high school, and I know or he's sitting at home or he's in his car or something. And there is the church reminding him of how much God loves him. I don't know if I'll ever see him again. I do know this, that he got born again. I do know that my Heavenly Father transformed him and saved him by entering his heart. I'm confident of that. What I just described to you was not, you know, wildly articulate. I'm talking conversational gospel. But I'm telling you what, it's full of the potent power of God. It's what the zeal can lead us to. And where we're engaged in winning our world to Jesus Christ within our world. Another way, and I'll just close up this section and then we'll go on a small break that Benny will talk to you about. And that is that callings that are given to every believer to win the world to Jesus Christ are, are, are divinely given. A, great mis, a grave misperception is, is that soul winning, personal evangelism is one of those grit your teeth and tough it out type callings like, you know, oh my God. You know, and it's like so hard, which makes that kind of instruction uh, make this assignment from heaven seem absolutely incredibly unachievable and certainly couldn't be all of us. Uh, I mean, it could only truly be the brave ones. The brave ones will be uh, the one to do this. But if you understand that God has graced us 
for us and he agrees to teach us how to do this like he has taught us everything else that we have as we grow in our faith. That winning the world to Jesus Christ will be something that as you practice that and you get in the race, you become really good at it. And you learn to drop divine nuggets absolutely everywhere you go. I'd like to replace the word witness for the word minister. When Jesus called us to go into all the world to be a witness, he was really calling us to minister. To minister because when we go into the marketplace and when you think about going into the marketplace that you have these people that are there in front of you, whatever their need is, and you think of the word that I'm called to minister to them. You'll get rid of the grit your teeth and tough it out a sense of, you know, mentality. And you'll just think, how can I minister? How can I minister? What is this that I know that I have confidence in in my own personal life? I've learned in the life of my church, in my home group, my fellowship, what happens in my home. How, how, how can I take this to this individual? What's, what's in front of me? Who's in front of me that I can minister to? You know, salvation includes a sense of as we minister uh, healing and laying on of hands, and Benny and I are going to share some things about healing this evening, about prayer. We can operate in the gifts of the of word of knowledge that we can give people words of encouragement. I remember when Dan and I was living in Sydney, Lord gave me assignment. I used to go on walks every morning. And the neighborhood I was in was a nice neighborhood, but the people were sour pusses. And they'd all go on walks. They just have these sour looks on their face. And the Lord gave me the assignment. He said, I want you to smile at everybody you walk by. Well, you know, and I'd walk by and meet them every day. These same people, they'd walk me and walk. We'd walk. I'd smile. Well, what was I doing? That was the love of God. What, really? Well, sure it was because I was on assignment. He told me to do it. And as I began to do so, they began to talk to me, and then they would begin to stop, and there would be things I could share and things that they would say about their own personal life. And one day, I stopped in a park. A bunch of kids were there, a park in Sydney. They were all, pre they were all playing campfire, you know, being around the campfire together. Well, coming from the Pacific Northwest, we didn't have cowboys, but we knew about campfires. And so we talked about campfires and things of that nature. I then asked those kids, about six kids, probably 12 years old, if they, if they knew Jesus Christ, if they knew how to get to heaven, none of them did. They never heard of it. But it started with the mission of ministry of walking through my neighborhood, smiling, sharing the love of God, something that is something everyone can do. But I was under assignment, you see. I didn't just go around going, you want to see my new teeth? You know, I was on assignment. Ask those kids if they knew about Jesus Christ. They didn't around that phony campfire that we're making in this park in Sydney. Each one of those kids asked Jesus Christ into their heart. It started with the ministry of sharing the love of God. You know, when you consider soul winning, one of those toughen it out, grit your teeth, unfortunate callings that happens to be in the Bible, that kind of mentality takes it outside of the realm of graces and callings. It puts it in the realm of personal efforts and works. It puts the realm of, you know, to do this, you just need pure grit you got to bite the bullet, and then you know, just do it and get it over with. That mentality is so unbiblical. It's so unlike the character and nature of God, where he would ask us to do it. In fact, ask each one of us to do it, or each one of us give us that privilege and not share with us how to do it. 
not teach us how to do it like all the other things. Our spiritual life is different from our natural life. We learn those things. We learn those things. We learn the things that we know to do as believers. And when you learn to walk with Jesus like this, you're going to find that you'll begin to truly train your spiritual eyes to see the cries in the hearts of the lost. And this is what will happen. I, rec I, I, I reckon this will happen. When you begin to see following Jesus and sticking close with him and listening to him and allowing him to make you or teach you to be a fisher of men, you won't be able to, when you get a sense of those who are lost and spiritually dying, you'll no longer be able to just do one of those drive-bys. You just won't be able to do it anymore. You're going you're gonna to get a sense of how to walk in, and you're going to get a desire to, to provide spiritual assistance. You're going to want to, as if you were in a motorway accident, do whatever you could possibly do and learn how to minister with love and kindness and compassion and mercy, minister healing and comfort. You see, when we talk about the believer's call, every believer's call, we're not talking about pulpit ministry. We're talking about the divine calling of God on the believer, every believer, to share the gospel in our world. There is a grace for these callings. We can learn to operate in this grace. When Jesus said this, follow me, and he said, I'll make you a fisher of men, he said, follow me. I'll teach you how to do this. I'll teach you how to do this. We can learn to operate in that grace. There is an endowment of grace. When he said, follow me, he was talking about the fact that he would endow us with that grace to lead people to Jesus Christ. And like Paul, training and practice will help us walk in those graces. Now, one of the things that's critical about the mission of the churches is that our assignment is to contend for eternal destinies, the destinies of the people of the, on the earth. It's really important that we don't make light of these matters. It's absolutely true that there is a heaven to gain and there is a hell to shun. Sadly to say, there are no second chances after death. There are no second chances and someone would fool, some would foolishly say this, that I'd rather follow my friends to hell than go to heaven. Some would say foolishly that they'd prefer hell because they, they like the company there better and there's better parties there. Some will willfully reject the Lord and embrace unbelief often because they don't have enough evidence or the evidence they have is insufficient for them to make a, a decision for Jesus. They remain ignorant and uninformed because no one has ever personally told them the beautiful story of Jesus. These are the very ones that God has called us to rescue from the chasm between God and man. Charles Spurgeon said it this way, there are a thousand paths that lead to hell, but only one that leads to heaven. Jesus said this in John 14, verse six, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the father but by me. We're going to talk about four incredible in further ingredients about secrets to supernatural soul winning. The first will be powerful prayer, powerful prayers. And in some of our previous seminars, we coined the phrase prayer evangelism as the kind of prayer we pray when we pray for the lost. It's a coined phrase. You know, sometimes in order for us as the church as given the assignment to earnestly pray and proclaim, 
in other words, in, in order sometimes to see significant change, uh, we need to move things along for those people that we're praying for. Now, I'm talking about the rising of the grassroots revival among those that are gaining a strong heart and a zeal for the things of God to win the world to Jesus Christ. I'm going to say it this way. Sometimes to move things along in prayer, we're going to need to raise the volume of our prayers. Now, I'm not talking about the sound of our prayers or the lifting up of our voice. What I'm saying is, is that sometimes we're going to have to increase our fervency and our sense of urgency. And sometimes in our prayers, we're going to need to engage more, more greatly and intimately and more purposely with the intentions of God for those that do not know him. You see, when our hearts are really, and we're intimate with God, our hearts are entwined with the heart of the Father for the lost that we're praying for as we become more intimate with him, more intimate, and there's more of a fervor that's taking place and a sense of being led by his spirit, the urgency of the hour for these folks, we will find ourselves truly praying out of the heart of the Father for their souls and the Lord himself will give us divine and holy assignments to pray for the lost. You know, recently, I, uh, in some of our last assignments, you know, uh, we've uh, been talking, last seminars, we've been talking about ways we would pray for the lost. And I urge you to have a look at those. Emily in particular and Benny went through some details about that. And uh, so I'm just going to skip that part. And if you would have a look at that, uh, you'll find that there's a variety of excellent ways to pray for the lost. At the minimum, if you can't pick up all of it, you can, you're spiritual people, you could say this regarding the lost. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, God's will is that he desires for all to be saved and come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. You know, when we move into powerful prayers for those that don't know the Lord, we will need to learn to lend ourselves over in prayer to the lost by. And here's some, some tips for this. is to make a place for praying for the lost in our prayer life. Ask the Lord to put people in our paths that we can share the gospel with. And then give ourselves over to prayer for the lost in the spirit as the Lord would lead us. Many times when you pray for someone that's not born again, the Lord will begin to share with you roadblocks and hindrances as to reasons why they weren't saved. One of my neighbors recently, the Lord showed me why she wasn't open to the things of God. It was because of something that happened that was really a bad situation when she was a child. And she didn't know that, she didn't understand that it wasn't from the Lord and she was afraid of God. She was afraid that he wasn't powerful enough to help her. And so the thought of talking about God just wasn't something she was very open to. I would not have known it if I hadn't heard it in prayer. It's not something she would have told me. But I'll tell you what, in prayer, there is a supernatural river of power that when we begin to pray for the lost and we pray out of the heart of the Father, that will move through the corridors of any home, any family, any situation, any neighbor, any street, any building that we're in, any shopping center, that will impact them because the power of God through prayer is mighty. The Bible says that the power of the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man or woman or child avails much. I assume when I pray, that it is moving and moving and moving and making way for the voice of the Holy Spirit for someone to be born again. 
these are trying times, and I am surrounded by those that are spiritually lost and dying and going to a Christless eternity in this nation. Uh, point two would be talking about invasion and infiltration, the going and doing. That person just have to lead to action. I mean, you just can't be praying and praying and praying and no going and no, go and, and no doing. I could say it simply this way. We're living in the devil's backyard. We're living on a planet that's been cursed. We're surrounded by unrenewed minds and ungenerated hearts, and we can't stop praying, but our praying needs to lead us to going and doing and saying and proclaiming because he's told us to take dominion, to be fruitful, and to multiply. You know, when you really get a sense of moving in the Holy Ghost through the power of prayer, you're going to find that time clocks and, and calendars won't stump you. You're just going to hear from heaven the right strategies, where to go, what to do, and what to say. John Osteen said it this way, in the last days, it will be the people who follow the Holy Ghost and hear the Holy Ghost that will do great exploits, that will do great exploits. The response of the church in these days is critical to the plan of God for the end of the age. This isn't a time for apathy. This isn't a time for restraint. It is a time of war. We are to engage to com on, in, in a combative mode with prayer, and the power of the word, and proclaiming. Because the mortality of the entire human race, for those who are outside of Jesus Christ, are doomed for a Christless eternity. And the obligation, the responsibility, the purpose, and the pleasure of ours is to share the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. In our last seminars, we talked about, uh, you know, you have a flock in the world, that we're to be a, a light on a hill that can't be hidden, uh, that we can, our light can shine forth before men so that they can see our good works and, and glorify the Lord. I don't know about you, but I want to keep my light burning. I want to I be so full of the Holy Ghost that when I walk, I squish the power of God. It's just like it's oozing out of me. I just need to draw close. I just need to come in and be intimate with him. He's promised that when I do so, that he will manifest and demonstrate and reveal himself through me. I'm the church. You're the church. He promises that intimacy leads to ministry. And we, as a church, will want to minister within our world. I'll be ready for the slides about the children. I have someone that's in my flock. I'm going to give her a name that's not her name. She's picked her name. She is from Taiwan. She and her husband picked some names, some Western names, because we all, you know, Westerners weren't so good at saying them. I'll call them Carol and Ted. Carol told me one day that she had discovered at 45 years old, a dream of hers was that she had become pregnant. She had become pregnant, and the problem with her pregnancy was is that she was having twins, and there was a medical problem of twin-to-twin -twin transfusion syndrome, which means as a result of sharing a single placenta, the blood supplies of the twin fetuses can be connected so that they share blood circulation, and the result can be in an unbalanced, commonly, commonly impacting one twin to be very undeveloped and have serious heart problems with their heart, bowel, brain, and kidney. The prognosis was is that they both probably would not live. She had not yet ever carried a child to term. She had had numbers of miscarriages. I discovered in a private little conversation with her that in Taiwan, some young girl had snuck her into a Pentecostal church 
First a Baptist where she got born again, then a Pentecostal church where she had discovered the things of the spirit, but I couldn't tell Ted, her husband, because he was a Buddhist and her whole family was a Buddhist. And so when we talked about this, we whispered, we whispered. And then one day she told me that her children were going to die. And I was in the office complex of where I live, where they're the managers. And I said, may I pray for you? She said, of course. I said, can I lay hands on you? She grabbed my head and she just stuck it on her stomach. And then she said, no, even better yet. She said, she pulled out the sonogram. She said, let's pray, th- let's pray for this. Don't let Ted know. And so we laid hands on that sonogram and I prayed. I'm just, I am not in church. I am the church. I'm not in church. I brought church to her. We laid hands on those babies. And I prayed that the healing power of God would go in. The prognosis is they probably were both going to die. If not, the little one was going to die. They called them the little one and the big one. I'll tell you what, something took place, and I want you to show the next slide. We prayed and we believed. On Thursday, I went to see the twins. And I saw Ethan and Wesley. And they are healthy. They have made all the markers, the little one. Uh, is, uh, is Ethan, the big one is Wesley, that's what they call him. And Ethan is just a few days behind Wesley and Wesley is right on the markers. What happened is that the church went into the world. Now when I talked with Ted and I would mention the things of God, his Buddhist face would just get black, just get black. And when I talk to him now about his babies, uh, I, I say to him, I had my friends at church, a team I had at church, I had them pray for your babies. And he just smiles his head off like, I mean, that is so amazing. And his wife, Carol, says to me the other day, she said, it must have worked. Could you thank them? Benny, come and talk about ministering the healing of God in the marketplace. Benny has another amazing story, and he has a testimony. So Easter Fest, the Bible College had went out to um, like kind of like a little festival, they called it Easterfest, and there was a young um, young boy, was it a boy, teenager, yeah. young adult, and um, he keeps changing, and he, he was training to be an Olympic sprinter, 400 meter dash, and he had injured himself in training, and um, if you'd like to roll the clip, we had an opportunity to pray for him, and God healed him, it was instant, and yeah, it's pretty cool. All right, so I'm here with Caleb right now. He said there was a lot of pain in his foot. How many years? Uh, almost two. Huh? Almost two. Almost two years. And um, what happened? Uh, I was training and also running Olympic times. Yep. Olympics in 400 meters, and I injured it by doing too many sprinting starts. Yeah. And then from there, you, your foot was jacked up, so you couldn't run for two years. Uh, I would be able to run, but without much pain. With pain in there. Yeah. Yeah. But then we just prayed, and we used the name of Jesus. Um, and I just command the pain would be gone in the name of Jesus. And um, we thank Jesus that what he did on the cross, his healing power, and um, it went straight into Caleb's foot. And I said, bro, that's healed 100%. Try running. And dude, you couldn't do that before. That's me. That's me. I couldn't run like that. He couldn't run like that. I'm going to film him right now, and we'll just have him uh, go for a little bit of a sprint round here. All right, you ready, Will? Hold your stuff, man. All right, you ready? All right, three, two, one, go. Don't, don't fall over. Awesome, yep. 
That's cool, man. Oh, that's awesome. You couldn't do that before. No. That, that was Jesus. Like that. that was Jesus, man. Hallelujah. <laughs> Dude, Praise man. the Lord. Praise the Lord, man. That was Jesus, man. I've heard Dude. things like that happen before, but yeah, yeah. I, I always was a bit skeptical of things like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Street. When I prayed for your foot, what did you feel in your head? Were you like, this is not going to work? or I was just thinking, studying what you're doing, and then I was thinking, and suddenly I looked at my foot, and there was no pain. No pain. Whatsoever, no. Wow. And that was two years um, sore in the foot, and now just 100% whole. Yeah. <laughs> Screw Dude, man. Yeah. Woo! That's awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, so that's uh, kind of like what Bible college is all about. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so that was a precious memory of uh, just the church being out there available. And I like what Pastor Karen had, had touched on. Without following Jesus and learn to be developing in the Holy Spirit and hearing his voice, he makes it easy. And we, we all start at whatever level we're at and he, he carries you on to the next step. And then he, if you follow, you, he carries on to you, you on to the next step and the next step. And then soon you could be in a, in a place where the things of God are happening before your eyes and you're shocked because you know it's such a, a treat and a pleasure when you see God move because you know it's not you. You're simply the vessel, you're the tool, you're the instrument and you're just saying, Lord, I'm available, use me in, in whatever capacity that you know, you've, you've taught me, you've shown me, I've been able to follow you and it's just one thing could lead to another. So that was just one of the highlights but I will say it's not a frequent occurrence. Um, the things which I might share later on uh, are more like regular in, in my life are not of this degree, but it's cool when you see these things happen. Thank you, Benny. So we have the opportunity to minister uh, in our world the healing power of God. Another strategy to a secret to supernatural soul winning is, is to hear the voice of God and to respond. Uh, the Bible tells us that he speaks in these days to our spirits and that he speaks that we have spiritual ears and we have spiritual eyes and he also speaks to us in his word. The Bible shares that he openly communicates with us, that God's not silent. Uh, he's not withdrawn and uncommunicative and you're just like hoping God will speak. God speaks by his, his spirit and his heart is fully engaged to show us who to minister to. And he will direct us to people uh, that he, he, is, uh, he has waiting for us in order to, to minister to them. Benny, uh, if you would, just at this moment, I'm sorry to invite you back up right now. Could you talk about the mean lady at work? Sure. This is more of an everyday thing. What, talk, talk about that mean lady at work. Hmm. Um, Pastor Karen had mentioned a couple of different ways we can minister the gospel and one of them was walking in love. So this is like a practical, personal, and recent, um, I guess, testimony or story. So there's a person at my workplace, and they're not treating me very nice. Uh, they're doing you know, different things with the shifts where they're, they're trying to avoid me. Uh, while I'm working with them, they're trying to avoid me. And I'm just trying to be friendly and nice to this person. Not over the top, nothing weird, but this person just doesn't like me. And um, there was this time where I had to do an like an exam so I could like get a promotion in the, in the job. And um, I'd look through the manual and had to find like the answers you were allowed to do that. And I spent a lot of time on it, maybe 40 minutes, 45 minutes. And I'd filled out this entire thing and all that was left was my practical, which this 
uh, co-worker who was my superior, my supervisor, had to just, um, you know, have me do the practical and that was it, I would pass. But um, I came back to work maybe three shifts later and my whole file was wiped. So I thought the, the iPad had just glitched or the system had glitched. So then that, you know, I was just like, oh man, like I lost it all. I guess it, you know, that happens. I wish I just did the practical right there on the spot. Well, anyway, this person um, had got another job um, doing something else and they were going to resign. And just the way, when I heard that they were going to resign, I, I just thought, I was checking my heart the whole time with this person um, when I work in my shifts. There'd be just different things I, I might do. It could be smile, it could be, be, you know, go out of my way to do something I don't really need to do to make her life easier, things like that. So there were a lot of different seeds the Lord was having me sow to her. But when I heard she was leaving, I just had on my heart just to bless her with like, you know, a, a cash present. And I ran it past my wife and my wife knows this person and this person really doesn't like my wife. Um, it, it could be why I'm, I'm getting treated this way. My, my wife is so lovely, but it's just, <laughs> um, this person doesn't like her. And then I think from that myself. And uh, my wife was like, really? You, you think so? And I was like, no, I, I think this is God. And I'm like, look, we do this and she's going to be blessed. And later if we find out it's not the Lord, we just repent, say, sorry, God, we missed it on that one. And, you know, we know that cash ain't coming back because we, we overrid you. But um, I did have it on my heart. So I remember it, it came to a final shift and um, I just said, hey, I just want to thank you so much for being, you know, such a good supervisor to myself. Um, sad to see you go. And I just got something for you. So I went to my bag and, and she had no clue what was coming. And I just pulled it out and I say, hey, I'd just like to give you this. And she goes, oh my goodness. She says, is this your money? And her, her eyes started to like well up. And she was like, oh, I can't. Like, she was like, please, like, t take some back. And I was like, no, th this is for you, you know, be blessed. And I also had a track um, which had Jeremiah 29.11 written on it. For I know the plans and, you know, uh, hope. I'll, I'll give you a future and a hope. I'm sorry. And, um, yeah, so she knew that um, my wife and I are Christian. She knew the love of God was always going towards her. And I, I don't know, that... I just saw that rock her heart. It went straight to her heart. And it's like something that she got really shook up about it. And I knew that was the Lord wanting to reach her, even though it wasn't deserved, it wasn't earned. It's just the goodness of God reaching all mankind. And I was just so thankful that she was being so blessed. And I was so thankful that I heard from God. And it was something that you wouldn't think it was God because it's not like I heard uh, an audible voice. I didn't see an angel. I didn't have a dream. I didn't have something spectacular. When I heard she was going to leave, you know, just while I was thinking about it at home, it just came up. It's like, you should just bless her with X amount of dollars and just say, you know, thanks for, for being a good supervisor. What I didn't know was after three months or, or maybe two months of her doing that other job, she came back to work. I did not see that coming. And uh, I find out she's working again. And, and of course, because that seed has went in and, you know, things are, are easier now and, and nice and I'm still believing for her to come around to full salvation but these little things that, that may seem little and, and insignificant just little promptings like smile or go out of your way to help them or just things that come up in your heart it's like those things can be 
and most likely are the Lord, if it's blessing and looking after someone. Thank you, Benny. So what we're saying is, is that soul winning, even though it's supernatural, is done in an incredibly natural sort of way. I love this, that we can hear the Holy Spirit. We can hear the Holy Spirit. The Bible says in Hebrews 1, that uh, verses 1 through 2a from the NASB, that God spoke a long time ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions, in many ways. And in this season, he speaks by his son. I want to share with you, in, with following God's heart to win the world to Jesus Christ, he's going to speak to us in many portions and many ways. You will get impressions in your heart. You'll get an idea of someone to see. You'll get an idea of something to say, a place to go. Some act of kindness will come to you in order to do something to open the heart of someone who doesn't know him. God is so incredibly gracious that if we don't get it one way, he'll rephrase. He'll say it another way. You see, he's going to go out of his way to get us to someone who needs the Lord. That is exactly what the Spirit of the Lord would do. You know, one of the other secrets to supernatural soul winning, and there's many testimonies that we could share about us that soul win, and many of you are those people too. It's not just Benny and I, we know that, is that we will often be prompted by his spirit for the things that he's called us to. But an incredible, amazing secret to supernatural soul winning is to recognize that God also speaks to unbelievers. He does. He speaks to unbelievers. A prime example of that is that when we got born again, he spoke to our unregenerated spirits. What message did he speak to us? That he loved us and he wanted to enter our heart. It's the crux of the gospel. He does this in order to reveal himself. And whenever our hearts are stirred to be saved, it's the spirit of the Lord speaking. People sometimes will be engaged in uh, amazing intellectual arguments, not as in to argue, but a discussion of a variety of things that might be pertinent to engage someone in order to change their mind. Let me make this very clear. That is very, very an amazing gift with people that are gifted to do that. There's absolutely no doubt about it. But it will never be intellectual things that turns the heart of a man or a woman. Whenever we get born again and our hearts are turned, it will be because the Spirit of the Lord has spoken. The Spirit of the Lord has spoken. And in these days... He speaks. Anytime a lost person begins to reflect on the things of God, it's his voice, his speaking. One of the things we need to do in our world, and I could share with you more about this on another occasion, is to help people recognize the voice of God. Because if we're praying for someone, he will be speaking to them. Because that's what he does. God speaks in this, in this season, he speaks by his spirit. And every time we pray or declare the words over people, he's speaking. His voice is on a radar and a channel that has nothing to do with it. It supersedes us. It moves out of the realm of the natural to the realm of the supernatural. Its target will always be the heart. The heart. God speaks to the hearts of mankind, and he speaks to the lost. And another general revelation we could talk about is he speaks by, you know, uh, in, in nature, 
you know, one of the ways the Bible talks about God speaking, of course, this is not the primary way he speaks. He speaks by his spirit and, and through his word and people delivering the beautiful story of Jesus. But in Psalm 19, uh, verses 1 through 4, it talks about the heavens declaring the glory of God and showing forth his handiwork. If that was really the case, and that's in the word, the world is full of the voice of God. Everywhere we look, his creation declares who he is. And so I am confident that the Spirit of the Lord is ministering and he's speaking. If you've got a sense of that channel he's on, and you just tune your ears to it, you would find that that channel is full of the voice of God speaking to the lost all over the earth. Can you get a sense of it? Our prayers engage that channel, as do our declarations by the word and our proclamations and our sharing and our moving out with acts of kindness that are things he's led us to do. Those are holy things. And he reveals himself through that. That channel is full of the power of God. It's full of the voice of God. It's powerful. It's tender. Another strategy for winning our world to Jesus Christ is the proclamation and demonstration of the gospel. There are secrets to supernatural soul winning that move us to a place where we tell someone else about Jesus and lead them to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 10, verses 14 through 18, it says this, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things, the good news of Jesus. Verse 17, so then faith, faith to believe, faith to get born again. Faith to believe comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I want to share two, two techniques of sharing the gospel. One is called the personal testimony. The second one is we commonly have called it the witness to lead someone to Jesus Christ. Last Sunday, if you were in the service or could catch uh, the service online, it was an incredible message on the power of the personal testimony and that sharing things that you have engaged with God on that it's caught, picked up, and it, is, uh, uh, it can be shared all over the earth. Uh, and there are wonderful stories that I would encourage you to listen to that, uh, that, uh, that particular message uh, by Pastor Reg Reverend Greg Bedell. Uh, we're going to share this evening about how to share your personal testimony in a, in a personal moment about how you got born again. But let me talk to you a little bit about the power, further about the power of the personal testimony, is that it has the incredible uh, power of authenticity. You can never, you may, some people might want to refute the Bible, but I'll tell you what, they can never refute what happened to you. And you know, where reality TV is really the, the big thing, people like real life stories. And as believers, we have multitudes of real life stories. And the dynamic ingredient of a powerful personal story is that it's worthy of sharing to anybody who will uh, choose to listen. Because it has the headlines of this is that it's always a rescue story of some sort. God help me with this. 
because of who he is. Uh, when we talk about how we got born again, it's a story of I was lost, but now I am found. I was blind, but now I can see. You can use your own personal testimony. You can share other people's testimonies. Recently, I learned how to give my testimony. I was raised in a Christian family. And commonly, when you learn to give testimonies, you always think the ones that work best is the drug addict story. You know, Karen gets up, she was a prostitute. You know, you're really, you know, healed and delivered from real degradation without the sense of the fact that each one of us outside of Jesus Christ had no hope. Just literally, we were destitute. But I'd never used my personal testimony of being raised in a Christian family. My mother's a, <clears throat> a minister's daughter. Her father was a pastor. He was a traveling evangelist, and he wrote tracts, you know, tracts to get people saved that went all over the world. My father's family came from Russia. They escaped from Russia before their faith. And both of those, when they came together and they got married, we were raised in a family where um, the things of God were really purposeful. <clears throat> Excuse me. It had changed their lives. They had risked many things to be in those places, and they knew a lot about Jesus. And I was raised to know a lot about Jesus. You always have to have a personal commitment, but I knew a lot about him. And I always thought that wasn't much worth telling to somebody who wasn't born again. But not too long ago, a couple months ago, I was coming from an art show in Coolangatta. And we stopped at, a, after, after the art show, we stopped at a Thai restaurant. And I ran into a lady who was on her break, sitting at a table. And she was doing her uni work. She was an international student from um, the Philippines. I thought she was Thai, but she told me she was Filipino. I began to engage in conversation with her and asked her if she had any idea how to get to heaven. She had no idea. And through the course of the early stages of that conversation, I actually began to understand that she knew nothing about Jesus, that for some reason or another, no one had ever talked to her about Jesus. And I said to her, I never had done this before in my life. And I said, you know what? I've had this incredible privilege where I was raised with people who knew Jesus. And, you know, I told her a little bit about my family background, like I just told you. And I said, you know what? I was raised to know God. I know him. And I said, I can tell you about him, and I can tell you who Jesus is. I said, I talk to him all the time. She said, you do? I said, yeah, I'm a friend of God's. I said, he and I talk all the time, and he talks to me. Well, she didn't know him. So I had to, you know, figure out what to do, and I did this, and I've done this on numbers of occasions. I began to tell her the beautiful story of Jesus, a little bit simple, but we started as we would with, ch with children. We started in Genesis. And then we made, for the, where there was a need, and then we made a way for, for a rescue plan from God. And that in order to be with him, the savior of our soul, and I just spoke about who he was, that we needed to ask him into our heart. And I said, I did this many years ago, but I was raised to believe. I'm so sorry you haven't. And there in the restaurant, she said the prayer and asked Jesus Christ into her heart. And it rose out of my personal testimony about how I was raised to know the Lord. If you'll go to your handouts, we're going to go through some things that are some tools in our gospel toolkit about the personal testimony. Learning to tell your personal testimony about how you got born again is really helpful when you minister in the marketplace. You should learn to be able to give your testimony as quick as I did, in a minute or less. Not, dear diary, your entire life story. And uh, if you were one of those that was, uh, you know, uh, born again out of a very difficult situation, there will be, uh, you know, a lot of sin and degradation, worse than just not being saved. 
nothing worse. I shouldn't have said that. But, you know, things of the world that, you know, could have got you in prison or, you know, in a lot of trouble, you know, in a lot of different ways. You'll find that you'll have something that you can tell people in the marketplace that will amaze them. Uh, you should be able to do a testimony in a very short period of time and longer if the opportunity arise, or, or, you know, comes. The format for a personal testimony is I call it group A and B, and it's for those that were saved in a specific moment of time, you got born again, or those that were raised in a Christian family. For those that were uh, saved uh, in a particular moment, someone led you to the Lord, you would share a little bit about your life before Jesus for those that were raised in a Christian family like myself, your encounter with Jesus, and there's more details there. I don't have time to go through them. Then as a, a non, as someone who was, uh, you know, living a life in which you had a moment where you asked Jesus into your heart, you could talk about circumstances surrounding how you got born again. How did you receive Jesus? What happened? Did somebody lead you to the Lord and how that happened? For someone who was raised in a Christian family, many times people will testify out of a crisis or a special encounter with God at some point in time uh, in their Christian walk in which they recommitted their life or they enhanced or they you know, developed a more mature commitment to him and became walked into a deeper commitment with the Lord. And I certainly could be one that would could tell you about sometimes in my university time where I really felt like I had failed God, but then all of a sudden it was just like, oh my goodness. And you know, just recommit, you know, and just become so fervent for the things of God. And yet you were already born again and you could testify out of how you began to follow Jesus even more fervently. And then for those who are not born again, you can talk about uh, uh, what was your need. Uh, I remember running into a professional person and who could just do anything, was at the top of their game, and in the buried in the back of his mind was just this longing for something he could never grasp, and it, was, it caused a loneliness, and you would never have guessed that. Uh, and then uh, you can go on in, uh, on the next page that you learn to work the plan of salvation uh, into your testimony, uh, no matter whether you started where you were outside of Christ, uh, you know, most of your life or a period of time in your life. And for someone who you can work your plan of salvation in, as I just demonstrated with someone who had walked with the Lord. And there is a form there where you can fill that in. You can practice it. I could go through more detail on other occasions. But this is a pretty simple form that's pretty uh, easy to follow. I encourage you to use your personal testimony of how you got born again and uh, share with others about what Jesus has done for you along those same lines to develop multiple testimonies of things of what God has done for you, how he may have healed you, provided finance for you. And when I'm working with teams to encourage them to use testimonies, uh, they begin to write up a lot of testimonies about his healing power, his provision power, a variety of ways that God has moved in their life. These personal testimonies are a way that from which you then demonstrate who Jesus is, and then you can begin to share the gospel with them. One of the simplest ways in moving into sharing the gospel out of those is uh, begin to tell them that God can change their life and you'd be willing to tell them all about that. On the next pages, uh, I don't have time for this, is on relational evangelism. We could perhaps cover that on another stage, another time. Also, I'm going to lead you into how to lead someone to the Lord. There's a lot of ways to lead people to Jesus. I'm going to just share with you one of the ways that I teach. 
and a track that you can use. There's five of these. I encourage you to use those to lead someone to Christ. Of course, you could be very experienced at this and don't need this help. Please don't worry about it. It's just part of what we want to put into the seminar. But one of the questions that people often ask is, how do I approach someone to share the gospel? And I share, and I share it this way, and that is, is if you were coming across someone who was in an accident and they were dying, you would always approach them tenderly, kindly, and carefully. Anytime we teach ministry outside of our church in the marketplace, we always teach that we approach people kindly, carefully, tenderly, taking tender care with them. We'll always look for the very best way to aid them. Uh, when I minister, and I can be a rather outgoing person, that wasn't always how I was. I was very shy, and then I learned to hear God, and I got baptized in the Holy Ghost. And certain things took place where the power of God began to just come out of me, where some of these things became more fluent. I became more fluent in these things. But let me share with you that when I'm in the marketplace, and I'm approaching someone concerning the things of God, I'm always very soft and tender with people. Why? It's because I'm representing God and I'm bringing his love. And remember, a moment of love with anyone is always tender and incredibly intimate. I'm always aware that the moment I'm engaged with, with them in, in on God's behalf is incredibly intimate. I'm there to share with them that God really loves them. You know, if you're looking to see if somebody really loves you and you go, oh, I asked her if she really loves you, she really loves you, you go, oh my God, she really loves me. But the deal is that expression of the love of God is tender and it's intimate. It was a violent act that put him on the cross, but it came from his heart being willing because he loves the world. And so I always encourage you that uh, it's critical that you don't make grave mistakes in sharing the gospel. Sometimes people approach the lost as if they're, uh, you know, they're at a shooting range and they're just like peppering them with the gospel and they're their target. And I always want to go, how does that work for you? Does that work? It, it, it's, it's, just, it's just really, you know, unapologetically inappropriate. It, it just really isn't the way we would conduct ourselves in ministry, in the things of God. Or they're like at a gym and they're your boxing partner. I mean, why? You know, on occasion I've had new soul winners go out and you just argue like crazy with somebody. I just look in the street corner and I think, no. Let me say it this way. Those, those methods are like, no, 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 never, 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 never be tender. As if you would with someone with an injury. These people are dying. Okay, they're dying. I say it this way, gentle, gentle, gentle. Gentle, softly, 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 to the point for sure. You got to get to the point. But kindly, kindly, kindly. You don't need to shout, you know Why? The voice of God, when someone is being touched by him, is so loud, they cannot sleep. They will not be able to avoid it. That love of God and the power of his voice is so incredible. We don't need to be the shouters. He'll be speaking. Because he does in these days by his spirit. The Bible says that an offended brother in Proverbs 18, 19 is more unyielding than a fortified city. And his disputes are like bars of a fortress. In other words, good luck getting through to someone who's been offended and have had objections from how somebody has approached them. I won't go through all the details of this. I'll just demonstrate how I would uh, perhaps approach someone to share the gospel. I'll start in a variety of different ways. I usually have a chat 
on an airplane, in a car, in a shop, like a, the young man I described. I usually just have a moment of time in which I have a chat. Then from there, I know I'm on assignment. I'm dealing with eternal matters. And uh, then I usually, I might ask them a question. Has anyone ever told you that God loved you? It might surprise them. I commonly ask, this is a question that's being asked all over the world, soul winners all over the world. Uh, and I found in a variety of different situations, they're asking the question, do you have any idea how to get to heaven? People are incredibly fascinated about heaven. And when you talk go directly to, in a very kind way, eternal matters, you know, like the end, you know, they usually don't want to go, they're pretty familiar with, if they're in a, you know, some sort of, you know, world that is familiar with the things of God, that opposite of heaven is like, I remember witnessing to a guy in a marketplace and he was selling, uh, you know, tickets for seeing eye dogs. And he said, so if I don't go to heaven, I go to, and I went, uh-huh. You get what I mean? They know that the opposite of heaven is something where they don't want to go. Don't get me wrong. We're not putting lure or bait out there that has no purpose just to pull someone in. These are godly things. We're talking about things that have eternal purpose and intention. We never need to be uh, embarrassed with that. So I commonly ask the people, do you have any idea how to get to heaven? And, and usually those people are going to answer, well, I hope so. I hope so. I think so. I'm a pretty good soul and things of that nature. I love it. Most people that are not born again give the wrong answer. The wrong answer is so cool. You have something to work with. If they have the right answer, they're already born again. And so when I share with them, or let me go backwards, I may ask somebody in an opening conversation, do you have anything I, you would like me to pray for? I might say to them something like this, you know, I was over there and I got the Lord, and the Lord, I want to go back to this, sorry. I, 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 got the, I got in my heart that there's something going on in your life and I can pray for you. God has alerted me that word of knowledge, that something's going on and I'd be glad to pray with you. And I could give you numbers of testimonies on that. Or you might see that they have a physical ailment like Benny discovered. Um, like I talked about, you know, the people, uh, you know, that manage the townhouses where I live. And it gives, me, it gives me a reason to jump in and share about the love of God and the power of healing power of God to which I can add how to get born again. And so there's a lot of ways to get in uh, to a conversation. But usually if the person answers some things about, yeah, they think they're going to make it because they're a pretty good person. You know, one of the funny ones is, yeah, I'll get there when I die. Another one is, well, you know, I never killed anybody. And so commonly I'll go, and, and I use regularly Romans 10, 8, 9, and 10, Revelation 3, 20, and John chapter 3. Those are just the three passages that I use regularly. And I say, well, let me tell you what the Bible says. Can I tell you what the Bible says about how to get to heaven? I said, it's heaven's a God thing. And uh, I said, I can tell you in just a sentence, I tell them though, so they don't think I'm going to quote the whole Bible. And I said, you know, the Bible says that if you believe Jesus is the son of God and that he died and rose from the dead and you genuinely believe that and you're willing to say so, the Bible says that you'll be born again or that you'll go to heaven when you die. In the last book of the New Testament, Jesus is speaking and he said, behold, I stand at the door of your heart and knock. You make an altar call out of that. If any man hears my voice, man, woman, or child hears my voice and asks me to come in, I will come in. Jesus in your heart is your ticket to heaven. And I said, in order to ask Jesus into your heart, there's a simple prayer you just need to pray. And I tell him what it is based on Romans 10, 8, 9, and 10. And I said, it goes like this, dear God, I believe Jesus is the son of God. I believe that he died and rose from the dead. Please come into my heart. Thank you for coming in, in Jesus' mighty name, amen. 
you repeat that after me and you genuinely believe that and you're willing to say so, the God who created the heavens and the universe will come and live inside of you. You can repeat that after me right now. Dear God, dear God, I believe Jesus is the son of God. Are you following me? This is the plan of salvation. I believe that, it, don't make it harder than this. He didn't make it harder than this. He did the hard work we just tell his story and how to get there. I believe Jesus is the son of God. I believe Jesus is the son of God. I believe that he died and rose from the dead. I believe that he died and rose from the dead. Please come into my heart. Please come into my heart. Thank you for coming in. Thank you for coming in. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. And then I wrap it up with the confirmation of what took place. I told you that Jesus said that he stands at the door of your heart and knocks and he says, if anyone hears my voice and asks me to come in, I will come in. I said, since God wouldn't lie, I mean, God wouldn't lie, right? And you should go, oh my God, God wouldn't lie. And I said, and you just asked Jesus into your heart. They go, yes, I did. And I, and I said, so where is Jesus right now? And they will say back to me, Jesus is in my heart. I then will go on to tell them about uh, G, uh, uh, Nicodemus meeting Jesus. I said, let me tell you what happened. I said, there was a guy named Nicodemus. He went to see Jesus late at night. And he said, listen, how do I get to heaven? It was a private appointment. He didn't want anybody to know. He didn't know. And I said, Jesus said, you have to be born again. And he said, are you kidding? I'm an old man. Are you telling me I have to get back into my mother's stomach? I'd say that in the streets. People always giggle at that story. And he said, no. He said, there's two births. He said, there's one birth where you're born into the earth. You're born, you're born physically. And I said, look at you. You're born again. You've got, you're born. You know, you're born. Here you are. I said, but what took place is the second thing that Jesus was talking about. He said, in order to get to heaven, you have to be born again or born from above, or born by my spirit. And that what took place today is that you were born of the spirit of God. Today you became what the Bible calls a child of God. Today you were born again. We give them tracts. We talk to them about prayer, reading the Bible, God's a new friend, go to church, God loves you, and etc. There's more that I could share with you, but I want to close with this story so that we can remain on time. And I discovered this only recently. And it was only discovered in the last number of years. In New York City, they discovered that there is a island just off the coast of uh, New York City, just east of the of Bronx. It's a mile-long island, and it's one of New York City's closest guarded secrets. It's called the City Cemetery. Who goes to the City Cemetery? It's for people not known. Nobody knows their next of kin, people that are not claimed by families, poor people who couldn't afford the cost of a burial, victims of epidemics, most recently victims of the COVID epidemic. And when the morgues in New York City could no longer uh, hold the amount of bodies and were overwhelmed by the bodies, common graves are regularly dug on this island called Heart Island in Long Island Sound. There, there are thousands of bodies buried who are poor, homeless, unclaimed, or forgotten. The common graves there will hold 150 adults or 1,000 children. The coffins are made out of the seats of a baseball arena that has been discarded, and they will take the boards from the seats, and they will make the coffins. The people that make the coffins and bury the bodies and, and go to this island to deal with the dead are prisoners from Rikers Island. Many there are, are, are unnamed. If you could get that slide up, please. 
Many there remain nameless. Some they may know the name of, but in all instances, they are unclaimed people. They are unclaimed people. And this grave is called the potter's grave, the potter's cemetery. And where I tell you, and I found this story incredibly sad and evokes deep emotions, I will say this and I will close the seminars with these comments. If you ever get a hold of the sense of the millions who will go to a Christless eternity, you couldn't be silent. You would have to speak and act. Hell is the largest common grave cemetery that has ever existed, and it will hold thousands, if not millions. You would have to, if you really understood the plan of salvation and God's purpose and intention for us in the church, you would have to engage. I pray this evening, and I've been praying for this seminar, that during this evening and the days to follow that the Lord reveals to you personally and individually, the tragedy of this very truth. That any great moves of God, that believers will always move forward with the divine revelation of the consequence of the lost. And it will burn within them to spur them on to action. When William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, got a sense that those that were perishing were out at sea, he had a vision and the church were going about their ways just conducting the business of the day without reaching out to rescue them and bring them into the harbor. He developed the army and rescue missions. I share with you this evening that my firm personal belief, and I believe that the belief of our church, that before he moves, there will be, before he returns, there will be a mighty move of God that the people in the pews are going to find their place in ministry among the lost, that this move will be open to every believer who wants to join the ranks in the front lines of the battle lines, that their mission will be to pray powerful prayers for the lost, that there will be going and doing. They will hear the voice of the Holy Spirit and regularly hear his voice and be sensitive to be able to follow his voice, to proclaim and share the wonderful story of Jesus and demonstrate the power of God. Where will this movement take place? Well, I told you this. It'll take places in businesses and parks and family gatherings at the beach, at petrol stations, on the bus, on the train, in fast food places, in grocery stores, in malls, in hospitals, in schools, in street corners, and everywhere you turn. If you get engaged, you will find where there is the lost. There will be the believer. What will, be they, what will they be doing? They will be doing the works of Jesus. They will be praying. They will be sharing the power of this gospel that transforms and saves lives. They will hear the voice of the Holy Spirit and they will be responding and responding and responding and responding. They will be proclaiming and they will be demonstrating. They will be there going into all their world and sharing every, but everywhere they go the gospel with everyone who is open to hear. Benny, if you could come. Impacting their world for eternity. These are some. There are many more. These are some secrets to supernatural soul winning. If you would like more information or resources on this or other topics, or if you would like to sow into this ministry financially to help us share messages just like this one each week, please visit our website at brainer.org.au.